Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. You're listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. If you want to get in touch with the show, email us at IllegalMotionPodcast at gmail.com and follow us on Twitter at Illegal underscore Motion. Thanks for downloading. Hello and welcome to another edition of the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. In Los Angeles, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins. As always, joining us from Nashville, Tennessee, it's our quality control man, the coach, Corey Burton. Oh yeah, I'm trying to control the quality of the show. Looking looking forward to an action packs show. Usually it's uh, all about March Madness, but this year it's about November Madness. So looking forward to a good show, boys. Absolutely, absolutely. And in the second city, a man who did a little game planning with Kirk Ferentz this week before Iowa's victory over Purdue. <laughs> it's our intrepid blogger, Josh Cook. Yeah, hats off to the snow crew. They worked through the night. It snowed all night. I think they had to plow the field about six or seven times to keep up with the snow. They worked all night, and if you watched that game on TV – or were in the stadium, you would not even have known that they got a drop of snow. Hats off to the crew in Iowa City. Yeah, Josh, you got to you got to hang with some big leagues though at Iowa this week, didn't you? I did. Yeah, I was going to say this for a quick slant, but uh, maybe yeah, I'll yeah, just. Well, well uh, you know, I can I can talk about it now because I'm sure Coach will want to uh, add to it because what I was going to say was uh, went to the uh, I Club luncheon that they do Friday before every home game. Uh, but the, the best one is the first of the season and the last of the season because that's when they're all rah-rah at the beginning of the year. And at the end, they, they celebrate the seniors. And coming into the year, obviously, Kirk had had some diminished returns. Uh, some people wanted him fired after that bowl game. I was maybe about a five or six on the scale of one to ten wanting him out because I was really surprised he had shown so much faith to Greg Davis, a guy up until this season had shown very little at Iowa. Um, but it's really easy to want someone you've never met fired. But being at that luncheon when he was talking about the seniors and introducing all 21 seniors that were there, as well as the senior video team and, and training staff, he got a little misty-eyed. And you could tell it meant a lot to him. And then I shook his hand. He is so personable. He signed some memorabilia for me and my dad, which was awesome. And then um, the the – a team captain. They always do an honorary captain, and so he's a, an alum. And this week it was Sean Considine. I, I told Coach Ferentz, I was like, oh, I was a little surprised it was Sean. He's like, oh, who would you have had? And I was like, well, I figured with us playing Purdue, it would be Dallas Clark, because one of Dallas Clark's highlights in the 2 season was a like a 95-yard touchdown catch. And without missing a beat, Kirk knew the exact play I was talking about, and he sighed, and he goes, oh, he saved our bust that day. I just love that, you know, I'm just a dumb fan bringing up a play a decade ago. He not only, like, knew exactly what I was talking about, but had a funny comment about it. You see how much it means to these coaches. And it's really easy to get lost in, like, ragging on Al Golden or we're going to be talking about Paul Rose later on the show. But no one takes a job just for the money and not caring what their win losses. And it, it really put that in. To perspective, and I'm sure, Coach, you kind of have the same feeling with what's going on with uh, Mark Rick for you in Athens. Oh, yeah, uh, a little personal story about Mark Rick. Um, you know, I worked there. I was a recruiting assistant for uh, Rodney Gardner, who was the recruiting coordinator at the time, defensive line coach. He's now at Auburn. Um, 
I worked there all four years as a student, came back, worked there in the 2007 season as an interim guy, um, got to meet Coach Rick, got to talk with him, uh, just kind of see how he did things. And, you know, I, I was impressed because the public perception of him couldn't be any further away about, you know, his, his competitive spirit, his, you know, get after you attitude. He handled – he's the coach, and he's just like Bobby Bowden. He handles it all at practice behind closed doors. If he's going to chew your butt, he's going to do it on the practice field or he's going to do it in, uh, in the meeting room. And, uh, and, I, and I've definitely witnessed some, some of the butt chewings that, that, that people talk about that he doesn't do. And he, he holds people accountable. It's a shame that, you know, the public perception of it is just totally different. Um, but, but a story that really drew it all together for me was uh, I applied for the, uh, the permanent director of on-campus recruiting position, and I wasn't sure if he remembered who I was, and, and he knew exactly who I was um, and asked me how I was doing and, and how things were going up in Nashville and things like that. So, you know, it just kind of put things in perspective. These guys don't forget anything. So it's, it's, uh, it's interesting, you know, when you know, they put their heart in soul into it you know you feel bad about criticizing what they do but on the same token they're getting paid millions of dollars to uh put a product out on the field and if they're not doing it then you, know, you have to move on from them but mark rick's the kind of guy who'll land on his feet somewhere and if kirk ferentz ever wanted to coach anywhere he'd be the kind that land on his feet too so uh i was very pleased when that happened and i can definitely understand it for for your sake Absolutely, absolutely. Well, like you alluded to, Coach, it was a absolutely wild weekend in college football, and so we got an awful lot to get to. I know Huck's excited for it, so uh, oh yeah, let's get it started with a quick slants. And so, uh, Josh, I know I kind of stole your thunder there, but uh, you're up first. Oh no, that's fine. My quick slant was going to be kind of just a uh, compare and contrast of what's going on in Iowa City and what's going on in Ames. So since we took care of the Iowa City portion, uh, obviously Iowa State heartbreaker at Kansas State up 35-14 at halftime, end up losing the game, really cost Paul Rhodes his job. Uh, not the – kind of the straw that broke the camel's back. Obviously, uh, a lot of factors go into firing a coach. But uh, it's just – it's tough to kind of talk about the Paul Rhodes era because it got off to such a big – you know, such a hot start. He won a bowl game his very first year, really helped stabilize things after Gene Chizik bails after two seasons – both of them long seasons, to be honest. They went 0-8 as second year in conference play there. Um, like I said, three bowl games in his first four years, but the last three seasons, three wins, two wins, three wins. And, I mean, injuries certainly played a part in 2013 and 2014, but at the end of the day, they just had too many collapses in the fourth quarters. Uh Iowa State gave them a long time, seven years to be there, but at the end of the day, they got to move on, and they're going to have to, first of all, worry about the salary. Uh, Jamie Pollard has dumped a lot of money in the program. Paul Rhodes really fired up that fan base. They remodeled Jack Trice. It's a beautiful facility now, third largest in the conference, but he was only making $1.8 million, and we saw Tom Herman be offered $3 million. For Houston, so that kind of shows you where the market is at right now. And the reason I brought up Tom Herman, I don't know if they can get him, but they certainly should have a crack at at least interviewing him and show him an offer package because he was at Iowa State for a couple years under Rhodes as an offensive coordinator. As far as I know, 
Uh, he left Ames pretty amicably. So uh, I know Herman's a big name, and I know Iowa State is kind of a little fish nationally. But, hey, if they could pull that off and, you know, maybe offer him seven years, $3.5 million right off the bat, beat that Houston offer, give some more stability than Miami or Texas or any of these big-name jobs offer where they demand a championship so quick, hey, who knows? Maybe they'll pull a coup and get Tom Herman. Yeah, that would be a really uh... – that that would be a, a huge win for the clones if they could uh, if they could pull that off. But yeah, Rose. I mean, even in those first couple of years when he was growing, you know, making the bowl games and whatnot, he still never ha- was never better than he never had even a five hundred record in conference, much, much less a winning record. And so I think that is you know that's obviously going to be the place to start. You got to w- start winning more of those conference games. I mean, Kansas is a walkover, but, you know, the rest of the conference is, is pretty strong. So it's definitely whoever gets that job is going to have their work cut out. For yeah, I mean, it, it's I think it's a really tough situation for Iowa State fans because he was so fiery. He's an Iowa native. They wanted him to succeed. This wasn't like an Al Golden thing where he was kind of this outsider, didn't really fit with the culture. They, they gave him seven years, which I think is longer than most schools would have, and it's kind of a testament to how well liked he was and how good they were sometimes defensively. That um, I wrote a few things on the Sports Nation blog uh, for Iowa State that they were saying maybe they maybe the new coach might throw him a bone and make him the defensive coordinator because that was never an issue that side of the ball. It was yeah. just they had no offense ever. I mean, this is a team that shut out Texas this year. They weren't incompetent defensively. No, I mean, so who do you think they go after? Oh, from Herman, like who else? Who else would be like a, a target for them? Herman would be my first name, without a doubt. Um, there are some other people. Uh, they were kind of looking at maybe Baylor staff. Um, there's a lot of Kimball buzz. Would be a great, yeah. great choice for that uh, if they wanted to take a chance on him. Yeah, I, I don't see him ever leaving Baylor though. There's there's been a lot of buzz about Ken Niamatololo. They really like. Ooh. How he's succeeding at a military academy, and they they kind of feel like they're sort of handcuffed in the same way in terms of they're never really going to beat out all those Texas schools for Texas kids. And Iowa State loves to run the ball, and they have a really good running back in Mike Warren, so they kind of feel like maybe Niamato Lolo could come right in. But, I mean, Paul Rose has been fired for about eight hours right now, so anything at this point is pure speculation. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Coach, what you got for a slant? Well, I uh, just wanted to talk about the SEC um, and how things went down this weekend for the conference. You had uh, a couple of thrillers. Uh, one was probably supposed to be a thriller, and the other one, uh, the other two weren't supposed to be thrillers, uh, or the, actually the other four weren't necessarily supposed to be th- thrillers. Uh, one team came out on the wrong end of it. The others had to go into overtime. So, uh Wanted to start with Mississippi State, Arkansas. Um, I know my, my whole thing, my whole deal this year has been hashtag year the running back. Well, this is hashtag week of the quarterback in the SEC. Um, you had Dak Prescott. You don't get a lot of those in the SEC, do you, Coach? No, you don't. You don't see a lot of this. So this is a rare thing. This is like a unicorn. All right. You see uh, Dak Prescott, 38 of 50, 508 yards, five touchdowns through one interception. Uh, versus Brandon Allen, 30-43, 460 yards and seven touchdowns. Uh, it's a school record, seven touchdowns. Um, Mississippi State was victorious 51-50. to 50. 
um, at Ar- Ooh, excuse me at Arkansas. So it was a thriller, just one of those games that just went back and forth. It was a, it was a slugfest at times. It was an aerial assault at times. It was it basically ran the gamut of of different types of, of scoring styles and things like that. So it was it was an amazing deal um, to see. It was it, and it too bad it ran with uh, one of the other thrillers I was going to talk about. I'll I'll do two two thrillers for this quick slant, and I'll do the other two for the others. But um, it, and I'll talk about Georgia more in depth on my second quick slant. But it ran up against the Georgia Georgia Southern game, which was a uh, you know. Not meant to be a thriller, but it turned out to be a thriller. But uh, and so, but anyway, um, very impressive game. Two very good. I, I couldn't tell if it, you know those two very good teams. A well played game. Looked like both teams were well prepared and had a great game plan for it. But just you know, just the quarterback play of it was just. I, I was just enthralled. I, I, I kept switching back and forth to it when I realized that Baylor was taking it to uh, Oklahoma State. I kept coming back to this one, going. Surely somebody's going to pull away, and, and you know you look at your total yards, six thirty-one to four seventy-nine. Holy cow! Yeah, um, I mean that was—I mean that was—that was a lot of points up there. I mean, one hundred one points between the two teams. There yeah. was there was a whole lot of offense, not a whole lot of defense in that. And not one, not a run game either, Matt. One hundred and one points. I mean, come on, it's just like a first quarter in a Big Twelve game. Oh. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, the, the other game I wanted to, to touch on real quick, uh, it was a thriller. Should not have been. South Carolina ended up on the wrong end of it. Um, this was kind of pitiful. Uh, the Citadel, a triple option team, uh, a flex bone triple option team, one like Ken Niamatololo is going to run. Uh, he surely, he, surely he's going to get a job somewhere, a, a big-time job if he decides he wants to leave Navy. There would be a lot of people interested in him. Um the Citadel triple option team, twenty-three to twenty-two over the Gamecocks. Uh, you had this. This is a this is a funny stat here. The quarterback for um, for the Bulldogs of the Citadel, Dominique Allen, two two out of three for thirty-seven yards um, rushing. Uh, Tyler Renew had twenty-three carries, one hundred seventy-two with a touchdown. Cam Jackson, twelve carries. Two touchdowns for Renew, actually. What's that? Two touchdowns for Renew. He was everywhere. Yeah, yeah, two touchdowns for Renew. Did I say one touchdown? It's okay. Yeah, it happens. It happens here on the illegal motion. We're gonna we're gonna commit some penalties here because that's what we do. Uh, I got a, I got a question. Um, so South Carolina beat North Carolina. If North Carolina wins the ACC, do they then have to play the Citadel to determine the real ACC champion? Yes. Okay. Um, and the Citadel should have to play Clemson for the South Carolina State Championship, too. Works for me. I like that. Well, uh, no, no love for College of Charleston? No, hey, they're, not, they're not knocking off the Gamecocks. No, they're not. They're, 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 the, they're on the outside looking in. All right. All right. Well, um, yeah, I mean, we, but we had a uh, – uh, Coach, let's just run to that one other uh, crazy game in the SEC, the – the, the the Florida game. I mean, that was that was some complete weirdness. Yeah, it was. It was just like I kept seeing. I was out and about. I was like, well, there's not really many. I was like the Michigan Penn State game. I I was kind of watching that. You know, I'd watch it, go somewhere, watch it some more, go somewhere. I was kind of out and about Friday morning. Uh, not Friday morning, Saturday morning. I'm all over the place, man. Um, but that was uh. That was one of those weird games where, like, 
all right, any any time now they're gonna they're gonna start pulling away. Any, okay, here we go. All right, they're gonna do it now. Uh, well, no, they never did it. And uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you just leave a team hanging around, give them some confidence, and you know they'll make you sweat a little bit. You know, Florida Atlantic two and eight. You know, what can they? You know, the um, one of the things that's really good at Kinnick is they they show the scores from around the country a lot, a lot more than most stadiums I'm at. I guess Iowa fans just get easily distracted, but um, they showed the Florida score, and it was it showed. Two for second quarter, zero, zero, zero for the time. So it was halftime, and it showed zero, zero. I told Dad, I was like, like that's that's really weird. He's like, maybe he's like maybe they're not updating that score for some reason. He's like, maybe it's broken for that score. And I'm like, how is it broken for that score? We couldn't figure it out. And then we get home and saw the highlights, and we're like, whoa, what the hell? Yeah, it was one of those things where I was like, surely. It's like as soon as I turn it on, they're going to score three touchdowns in 30 seconds, and it's going to be a blowout, and surely it didn't happen. They had to go to – I was like, oh, crap, they're going to they're gonna lose to Florida Atlantic. After all that, they're going to lose to Florida Atlantic. Oh, crap. You know, it's just one of those – they just look – and then, you know, the highlights, they just look checked out. They just looked like they weren't there. They didn't care. They didn't care to be there. They just wanted to get it over with and, and move on to Florida State next week. And, well, I didn't think Florida Atlantic was a trap game, but I guess apparently <laughs> it was. <laughs> oh, man, yeah, you, uh, we, we really did not expect that. Well, you know, uh, the craziness wasn't just limited to the SEC or just the, even the Power Five this weekend because the American Conference had a whole big slew of games this weekend. And there were upsets all over the place. first one I want to talk about is uh, – Start in Philly, where Temple uh, really took it to Memphis, winning 31 to 12. They held Paxton Lynch to 156 yards and no touchdowns for the first time this season. Um, the Owls really got it done through the air. Um, you know, you're, you really expect Temple to sort of you know ground and pound guys with Jihad Thomas, but he really couldn't get it, get it going. Only had 12 carries for 34 yards, but. Uh, Temple quarterback, P.J. Walker, stepped up big, 261 yards, two touchdowns. Um, but you know what? You know, they, uh, the, the most impressive thing was that they kept the Tigers out of the end zone for the whole game, whether it was Paxton Lynch through the air or through the rushing attack. So uh, Temple's defense obviously has been really good this year, and they showed it again uh, this weekend. Uh, moving up uh, a little farther north to Storrs, Connecticut. UConn pulled off one of the biggest upsets of the season uh, by beating previously undefeated Houston 20-17. Uh, to 17. Uh, Houston was out with, without the services of their stud quarterback, Greg Ward Jr., and it really showed because the Cougars were held to a season low in points with only 17. Uh, for the Huskies, it was all about Noel Thomas. The junior wide receiver had seven catches for 108 yards and two touchdowns, including um, a back-breaking touchdown on a trick play from um, thrown to him by the backup quarterback, actually. Um, so uh, in the game, the Huskies became bowl eligible, and uh, the Cougars really lost any slim chance that they had to break into the college football playoff. Um, elsewhere in the wow. conference, the midshipmen of Navy rolled into landlocked Tulsa, Oklahoma, and put up 44 points in a route over the Golden Hurricane. Navy quarterback Keenan Reynolds scored another touchdown on the ground and is now one away from Monte Ball's NCAA record of 83 career touchdowns. Uh, in the game, Reynolds also became Navy's all-time leading rusher, 
with, uh, he's now at 4,195 yards, breaking Napoleon McCollum's 32-year-old record. So uh, kudos to Reynolds on uh, really just a, a pretty amazing career that has gone unnoticed by a lot of the, uh, the rest of the country. Finally, in Tampa, uh, South Florida quarterback Quinton Flowers threw for four touchdowns in a 65-27 shellacking of the Cincinnati Bearcats. Willie Taggart has got to be proud of his team. Uh, they've won six of their last seven, and they still have a chance to make the conference title game. Uh, Bearcats quarterback Gunnar Keel, who, you know, we've talked about him a lot in the podcast this year, he was completely ineffective, throwing two first-quarter interceptions, and then was benched in favor of Hayden Moore, who finished with 249 yards and a touchdown, but two more interceptions as well to give four for the Bulls on the day. Uh, the only high note of the game for Cincinnati was that wide receiver Chris Moore broke the school record with his 26th receiving touchdown. Um, but the Bulls were just absolutely dominant through the air and on the ground, where running back uh, Marlon Mack was over 100 yards with two touchdowns, and the team rushed for 361 total yards. So they were really, uh, they were really putting it on. Uh, against the Bearcats. So um, as it shakes out right now, Temple has to beat UConn this weekend in order to represent the East um, in the American Championship game. And the winner of the Navy-Houston game on Friday will uh, represent the West. So I've got a couple big games coming up this weekend, but we're starting to see uh, see how the conference is going to shake out. Um, you know, we've been well, – I've been looking at the American pretty hard this year, and it's been uh, – it's it's been a really fun ride. I got to say that it's a little disappointing that Houston lost because you know seeing them go undefeated would have really thrown a wrench in uh, in in the playoff. I think, um, especially um, you know with how well they've you know they, they've played and how well they you know beaten Vanderbilt, albeit a low level SEC opponent, pretty handily. So it would have been interesting to see you know where they ranked at the end of the year. But uh, Navy still obviously. Uh, I think Navy, Houston, and, uh, Navy and Houston both definitely have a chance to still make the New Year's Six bowl game. So, uh, really been a banner year for for the American Conference. Yeah, Matt, I just wanted to interject real quick about that Connecticut game. Uh, we should probably give some love to Bob Diaco, and I'm not just doing that because he played for Hayden Fry, but uh, this is a guy who uh, defensive coordinator, linebacker, coach at Notre Dame, obviously. Uh, led that salty defense with Matt Titeo, and he inherited a mess at Connecticut. Went two and ten his first year, but six and five this year. And his defensive identity all over that team. The, the biggest point total they've allowed this season: thirty points on the road in Provo against a pretty good offense. Held maybe to twenty-eight points in a losing effort. Hats off to them for getting to six wins. They face Temple, so I'm not sure they'll be able to win that one. And by playing Villanova with an FCS team, I'm not sure what bowl, if any, they'll get to. But six wins, possibly seven if they can stun Temple. Hats off to Diaco, young coach, just his second year as a head coach. Well done by Connecticut. This is a team to keep an eye on in the future, I think. Yeah, I mean, we saw them, you know, they, they went into Missouri and, and, you know, held Missouri to nine points in a really weird uh, nine to six game. Um, their defense has been fantastic, like you said, under Diaco. Um, and he's a guy, you know, if he, you know, if, if they keep, if Connecticut keeps, uh, you know, going on the path that they're on, he's going to be a really hot, uh, really hot name for, for a big name program in a year or two down the line. So, um, well, with that, uh, we got to get to our, our deep roots. We're going to cover all of the, all of the ridiculous things that happened this week. And we're going to start with the biggest game. In Columbus, 
uh, Navi Slancing, like I may have mentioned on the other podcast, uh, our last podcast. But Michigan State, um, down with their uh, with Connor Cook out, um, Michigan State absolutely stuns the Ohio State University, seventeen to fourteen. And Josh, like, I mean, I, I know you were watching this game. How'd they do it? I think, first of all, their defense, which had the one weakness was their secondary. We thought their front seven was as good as any in the country. I'm not going to say they got lucky. I'm not going to say anything about that. But the weather that night favored Sparty and allowed their biggest defensive weakness to become a non-factor. Because the wind and rain made passing next to impossible. Especially getting on the throw, like, way downfield. Yeah. So that really helped Michigan State. And then they just dominated that line of scrimmage. They made Ezekiel Elliott a non-factor. They made the mobile JT Barrett a non-factor. And frankly, without those two turnovers, it would have been 17 nothing, and... Ohio State would be even more of a laughing stock. And, I mean, that's just – we know Tom Har- Herman's a brilliant offensive mind, but, my goodness, you know, you lose your offensive coordinator. And we had concerns all year about their offense, and finally against their first-ranked team, they get completely exposed. And the locker room comments afterwards by uh, Zeke and Cardell Jones, I think it's unfortunate that you're sticking a microphone in a kid's face – after a heartbreaking loss, but their comments to me kind of indicated a divided locker room. I'm not sure what the chemistry of this team is right now. And uh, that bodes well for Michigan knocking them off next week, to be honest with you. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's concerning. Just, I mean, you never know what goes on behind the scenes. You never know the true harmony of a team. This could just be a couple of immature, immature college kids just, spouting off after a heartbreaking loss you know the unfortunate part is they get a microphone put in their face but also they get training on how to interview in in those type of situations you know you appreciate the honesty but again you look at it as wow you know what what's really going on here and you know is you know is there a divide and it makes you wonder and you know the, the thing that it does is it creates that distraction within within the locker room. So now, instead of answering questions about oh how are you going to prepare for Michigan, what do they do defensively to 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 give you trouble, what do they do offensively to give you trouble, it's going to be, you know, is there harmony inside the locker room? Is is this thing breaking down? Is there problems? Is Urban Meyer losing control of this team? Yada yada yada, all that stuff, and they have to answer those questions all week leading up to the Michigan game. Um, and, and Michigan, Jim Harbaugh will probably hype some of that stuff up to, to his team. Um, so, you know, it, it, from the outside looking in, it looks terrible. But to be honest, there's probably a lot of that going on already. It's just finally made perfect or public, I mean, excuse me, um, in, in, a, in a perfect storm type situation where you lose a heartbreaker where nothing seems to work. Michigan State defense just completely shuts down everything that you do and, and totally takes away any answer you may have. The weather takes away your, your only other answer, and, and it's, uh, you know, it's bad news bears for, from, from that point on. And, you know, Michigan State, 
you know, you got to tip your cap to them. They had a great game plan coming into it. They were going to shut down Ezekiel Elliott, make them try to battle the elements and, and throw on them, and obviously you couldn't do that. So their game plan was shot, and Michigan State did a good job of, of hanging on, and their game plan without Connor Cook was to was to pound the rock and play defense, and, and that's what they did, and they came out victorious. Yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, it's, I, I want to interject here for a second and just talk about Ezekiel Elliott again real quick because I think there is something to – what Elliot was saying, obviously, like, you know, the way he framed it was very inappropriate. But I, I think he's the best offensive player they had. And, you know, I mean. Oh, there's definitely truth in it. Yeah. yeah he, he got the ball 12 times. Yeah, he, in truth. a game like this with the elements like this, he's got to touch the ball 25 times. I'm sorry. Like, he's your best weapon, in, especially when the weather is like this. So, I mean, you know, I mean, JT Barrett got more carries than him. And, you know. That, that's okay for Jake to be bare to carry the ball 15 times, but Ezekiel has got to touch the ball 20, 25 times at least. Um, you know, they, they, you know, and when you when you do that, when you give him the ball more, he's going to get a chance to break one of the big ones. And I think that would have been really, um, you know, I, I, I was confused as to why they were not giving him the ball more while I was watching the game. So sorry, I cut you off, Josh. Oh, yeah, well, I was going to – I'm glad you brought that up. I was actually going to say, you know, Zeke was in the hospital, so we don't know his health, but – I mean, 12 carries by a running back, period. That's it. It's not like Zeke's backup had a bunch of carries. 15 carries for JT, two for Braxton Miller, and 12 for Ezekiel. That's it. So you're telling me the backup running back, if Zeke's health was a concern, didn't get any touches? And in terms of the divided locker room, I mean, it's human nature. You're going to have friends on your team and stuff. So you you know there was a Cardell Jones segment, and you know there was a JT Barrett segment. And when you're winning, it makes it work. But when your quarterback's 9 of 16 for 46 yards and Cardell doesn't get a single snap, you know that Cardell Jones segment of the team is going to be upset. You know Cardell is going to be upset. You know Ezekiel Elliott's upset. It's like I think that – it all kind of comes back to the really weird, wishy-washy nature that Urban Myers dealt with these quarterbacks all year. It's like he never let one stamp an identity to the team, and they were always looking over their shoulder. And then all their friends on the team were, like, wondering why their guy wasn't getting to play more. It was just um, – and to be honest, as someone who does not like Ohio State, I'm not going to – deny that. I've never liked Ohio State. It's weird for me to say this, but I actually feel kind of bad that Braxton Miller does the most humble thing possible, and his his, you know, first season of, like, genuine health kind of spirals on such a rainy, junky day. It would have been nice for one of the all-time great Big Ten players to, you know, get, get to be more of a factor um, than he was. Yeah, I mean, I think we're going to have to, you know, go. it's going to be this, you know, um, the, the Michigan-Ohio State game now is on a whole different level of meaning. It's not going to be for the big, you know, it's not going to be for the, you know, for the, for the East title, but it's, it's, uh, it's going to be a game of two programs who are, you know, one program. Ohio State is kind of in crisis now. I mean, if, if Urban Meyer really is losing the locker room, you know, what, you know what's going to happen there? I think that, you know, with... Um, 
with Cardell saying that he's going to go pro, I think that'll alleviate a lot of, uh, or at least some of the issues. Because you know going into next season that J.C. Barrett's going to be the guy. You'll have a whole offseason just having him um, behind center, you know, in preseason, spring game, and everything like that. But it's still... Uh, it, it, it's still a very scary proposition. You know what? This might be really rude, and Coach, tell me if I'm wrong for this, but if I was Urban to reclaim some control of that locker room, I just would tell Cardell and Ezekiel, we don't need you in Ann Arbor. If you're going pro, go pro. You're not part of this team anymore. Yeah, I mean, that might be a little bit harsh and a little bit knee-jerk, but, you know, I don't know. If you want to regain control of it and say, you know what? This is this is my team. Screw it, you know. Yeah, I mean that, that wouldn't be a that wouldn't be a horrible move. I wouldn't hate it, but you know, again, you need those guys to win. And, and I, but, mean, I think you could do that to Jones. I don't know if you can do that to Elliot. Yeah, but I mean, here's here's the troubling part. I mean, you don't have an identity. You know, you don't you don't know whether you want JT Barrett, Cardell Jones. You don't know whether you want Braxton Miller carrying the ball. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott leads leads all running backs and carries with 12 carries. Uh, you have no identity. It just seems like they're just all over the place. And with Tom Herman, they had an identity. It was feed Elliott, run the option, feed Elliott, and then every once in a while you're going to pull it and then throw the ball. Yeah, and, go, they over, have, and go over the top to Devin Smith. Jalen Marshall's a heck of a player. Yeah. Exactly. And when it comes, you know, when it comes time that you need an absolute, you know, every team, every good team offensively has that one play that they can go to in in the most crucial situation. If they need, they have certain plays. If they need one yard, they'll go to this play. If they need, if they need to get a drive established, they'll go to this play. And this, that they're called hat hangers And every team. If you're going to have, a successful offensive team, you need a hat hanger. Ohio State does not have a hat hanger, and it was glaringly obvious in this game Saturday. Georgia does not have a hat hanger. All right, everyone has that hat hanger that's successful on offense. Everyone knows their everyone knows their true identity, and they play to that strength. And teams that do not do that end up wandering aimlessly throughout a, the course of a ball game, and it ends up biting them in the in the butt. Yeah, I mean, like if if I mean, I, I love that idea of hat hangers, coach. And I think there are you've definitely seen there are certain teams this year that have those hat hangers. So one that comes to mind for me, it's a game that actually has two losses, is Florida State when they go three wide receivers and they do sort of that uh, zone stretch play to Dalvin Cook. Um, you know, they know they can get four to six yards in that every single time. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's just that outside zone play where everything's full reach and, and they know they can get yards on that. Yeah, there you so, go. I mean, yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. You know, Ohio, you know, Ohio State last year they had that. Um, you know, I, I remember a couple of years ago from the Wisconsin team, the hang the hat hanger for that team was the jet sweep with Melvin Gordon, and he was gonna, you know, he was gonna get to the corner every single time. But um, you know, I just want to put a bow real quick on Michigan State because they do have a game. They haven't clinched even with the win. They do host Penn State, and. Uh, I'll tell you what, the training crew better be real ready because Christian Hackenberg, we know they opened with 10 sacks against Temple. Um, He's been sacked 36 times this season, 21 times in conference play, 
And we just saw what that Sparty front seven did to Ohio State's highly regarded offensive line. Have the ice ready if you're the Penn State training staff. Yeah, but also if you're – yeah, just to, just to add to that bow, maybe put a little sparkle on it. Uh, <laughs> that, But, uh, you know, the uh, Michigan State offensive line better be ready because that Penn State defensive line can really get after it. Um, so, and, I mean, that, that's going to be a fun game next week. Um, going to be some classic Big Ten football right there. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I hope so. But Hackenberg looked a, looked a little messed up this week. He got he got his bell rung for sure. But uh, oh, yeah. we got to hop over to the West Coast now, where Oregon starting to roll again. Vernon Adams is back in full force. Um, Man, have they hit their stride? Oh my gosh, they are. They're looking like the team that we all expected them to be at the beginning of the season. Uh, you know, the, uh, this week they beat. Uh, beat down a USC team that has been, you know, pretty solid, especially since Helton's taken over. Beats them 48 to 28. Vernon Adams is absolutely ridiculous. 20 of 25. That's 80% of, for those of you counting at home, 407 yards, six touchdowns. Um, you're not going to do a whole lot better than that, are you, coach? No, you're not. I mean, you know, it's, <laughs> it's ridiculous. I mean, you know, Hashtag week of the quarterback, right? Four oh seven, six touchdowns. Um, you know, it's just one of those games where Oregon just couldn't do anything wrong. Uh, also, Royce Freeman rushed for 147 yards. He's gone over 107 straight games. Um, you know, they're still alive in the Pac-12 North. I mean, as crazy as it sounds, they were down and out three weeks ago, even, mm-hmm. and. You know they weren't even a factor in the in the Pac-12. Now all of a sudden, here we go. They're 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 all they're they're in the in the in the mix now. And, and Royce Freeman, you know, Adams has, has got them going. And and they're gonna. I'm excited to see this Pac-12 race. I mean, Stanford's a great team. Oregon's hitting their stride now. Cap, you know, it, it's it's you know, they beat a really talented USC team that's been playing really well. So, I. I've, you know, I've been, I was impressed with that, and I watched a little bit of it. There was a lot of good games on in that uh, in that two thirty Central Time slot, and and I was you know flipping back and forth, so I never really watched a complete game, um, but I saw bits and pieces of it. And every time I every time I seemed to flip to the Oregon game, it was on commercial because I guess Oregon was scoring a lot. <laughs> yes, and, they were. Uh, <laughs> I could never really see a whole lot of it. Their uniforms were cool. Uh, I will say that. <laughs> But uh, <laughs> it was, uh, you know, Vernon Adams was scoring six touchdowns and causing him to go in commercial so many damn times. So uh, it was good, you know, good for Oregon. That you know, looks like they found, looks like there's, looks like they've spent all season finding their identity. Now they found it. Now they know what they do. Now here we go. It's going to get interesting. Yeah, Josh, I want to pose. I, I want. I want to pose an interesting question to you. Was this? I'll, good, I'll try and provide you an interesting answer. Josh, was this a good thing in the long run for USC? I think this loss kind of puts the nail in the coffin on Helton not retaining the job. And is it, you think that's a good thing for USC going forward? Um, I think yeah, if he wins I think this game. You know, he he might be able to run the table and keep that job. Yeah, I mean that's oh, that is a tough question. I guess I would still. I still think he's deserved an interview, especially if they beat UCLA. Um, but, yeah, I mean, that definitely exposed 
some of him, to, to say the least, the way Oregon just picked them apart. Uh, because if they had one out, you really almost have to give them the gig. Um, now they at least have a way to reopen the coaching search. So that's a, that's an interesting idea. I hadn't even thought of that. Uh, actually, what I was going to talk about for this game was Mike D'Antonio, uh, or Mark D'Antonio, sorry, uh, needing to send Oregon a thank you note, especially if they find their way back in the tournament, because wasn't that long ago people had that as a non-factor in MSU's resume, but now Oregon's ranked again. And the other thing I wanted to say about this game is uh, I feel really, really, really sorry to whatever Big Ten team has to go out to the Holiday Bowl and face this whole team. Oh, man. Yeah. It's going to be – they're going to be pissed off. You know, if, if it's someone like Northwestern, they're going to get a beat down. Um, that, that, that is not going to be pretty. Um, this sounds crazy because they're only five and six, but I feel like the Indiana Hoosiers are about the only team that can keep up and attract me with Oregon. Um, you know what? I, I, I might, I might venture guess that, that Iowa could, their offense has been rolling lately. Hey, now I was going to be in the Rose Bowl. Yeah. Iowa's looking a little bit past the holiday bowl. If they take, if they can take care of business, against an athletic Nebraska team. But that's a story for when we do the preview show. We're talking about the craziness that was this weekend. Well, Matt, yeah. here's my two cents on – Matt, here's my two cents on Helton uh, before we before we jump into a different topic. I, I think – and sorry to long jump into this one, but I, I wanted to get this one out. I, I think Helton will be a great coach. I think he's probably going to be in a little over his head with the talent level at USC. He's going to be the type of a guy that's going to have to backfill – um, probably a Houston or a Memphis when one of those guys leave or or somewhere at one of those uh, lower-level FBS schools when, when they leave for a big job and, and for him to really groom himself as a head coach. So that's my two cents there. I think USC can get a proven, established guy in, in their search and, and be just fine. He can go from L.A. to L.A. Monroe. Oh, yeah. Ooh, yeah, that is an open job. Well, uh let, 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 let's stick with our hashtag week of the quarterback um, and jump over to uh, Stillwater, Oklahoma, where uh, we had four quarterbacks going at it. Uh, uh, you know, Oklahoma State's been running the two-quarterback system all year with Mason Rudolph and J.W. Walsh. Um, Jared Stidham, who was the, uh, you know, who had to come in uh, to, you know, when, when Seth Russell got injured, had been playing pretty good for a true freshman. He gets knocked out of the game. So third stringer Chris Johnson – who had been a wide receiver all season up until now, comes in, throws five of ten passes, 138 yards, two touchdowns, runs in another touchdown for the upset of the Pokes. Uh, Josh, you know, I, I know you had been you had been our Oklahoma State skeptic for the whole year, so you must feel, feel pretty vindicated. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I don't want to gloat and be like, I told you so about Baylor, I told you so about Ole Miss, being LSU. I mean, I'll try and take the high road. But, um, no, I don't want to say I'm an Oklahoma State hater because I like Mike Gundy, and I do think they do some insanely innovative things on the offensive side. I was always questioning Okie State because, in my opinion, running the ball and defense are your most portable things for road games and your most dependable things for when you get into crunch time in November and December and they completely no-showed. 700 yards of offense to Baylor and eight rushing yards. When you take out uh, Rudolph's negative 38, 
It's still only 46 rushing yards. That's not going to win you these games. And you need to have that in your back pocket for championship caliber football. I mean, what would Okie State do against, you know, a good defense, even a great defense? It's not dependable when you're that one-dimensional, when you don't have an offense that can, you know, pick up yards in crunch time. Baylor doesn't even have that great of a defense, but you see Baylor by having a rushing attack and a passing attack, it makes everything so much more efficient. That's my problem with Okie State, is you don't have to worry about a running game and one-dimensionality in football kills you. It absolutely does, and when you play the schedule, I guess when the Big 12 backloaded the schedule where they where they put all the all the good games or all the tough games, the tough tests towards the end. So a lot of problems were masked probably for Oklahoma State. I fell into the trap of thinking that they were, you know, they could do without a legitimate run game. They could probably do enough to survive. But I thought, you know, everything else was going to be, you know, high octane enough or, or, or great enough to overcome all that. Apparently, when they face a team like Baylor and likely when they go up against Oklahoma next week, um, their lack of run game is going, you know, it got exposed. And and once you become one-dimensional, it's a lot easier to game plan. You're exactly right, Josh. And uh, to be honest, I don't remember them ever have – I don't remember them having a great running back since Kendall Hunter left. And uh, I don't think they have. I, and to be honest, I don't think they have. And, and that's what those Oklahoma State teams had. Um, they severely lacked defense, which, you know, was – which killed them. Um, if they had this year's Oklahoma State team with um, the Ken, with Kendall Hunter and Des Bryant, I think we'd be talking national championship with this bunch. But they don't, so we're not, and they they they're kind of out of the race now. Um, it's a uh, you know some crazy things could happen, but it's really down to Baylor and Oklahoma at this point. I think Baylor is sitting sitting pretty. If Oklahoma State can pull the upset, Baylor will go. Um, and if Oklahoma wins, I think Oklahoma has a tiebreaker, right? Yeah. Uh, I, I, I mean, I would say Baylor's big problem of strength of the schedule then rears its ugly head if the Pokes pull off the upset in Bedlam. Yeah, and uh, here's the thing. Like, when you look at Baylor and when you look at this game, it goes to show you that they could probably plug me in and still get 700 yards of total offense. I mean, that thing is a well-oiled machine. Well, it don't matter who you plug it. Uh, uh, 650, Coach, 650. All right, 650. I'm sorry. I didn't mean to give myself so much credit. But, yeah, 650. It. I mean, it, it truly is, and, and it's a thing of beauty, um, you know, watching it go. And, and you see these spread teams, and I said it in the – I believe I said it in the Big 12 preview that Baylor was one of the few teams – one of the few just all-out open spread teams that aren't soft on defense because a lot of these teams go up against their own offensive practice, especially during training camp, and, and they become, you know, softer than, than some of your power teams. And it's definitely not the case for Baylor. I think Baylor does a good job of making sure that they play physical in every aspect of the game. And I think they have some elements of power running and power zone stuff, and I think they do a good job running the ball as well. Um and uh, that's kind of what makes them tick as a as a good physical football team, and and that's why they're in the position they're in. So very impressed with what Baylor did. Very impressed with what they were able to do with a third string quarterback, and uh, and just completely dismantling Oklahoma State. 
Well, I'm going to go with a quick audible here, guys, and let's... Uh, well, I, I just wanted to put one last thing into perspective, just to put some numbers on this argument that I have. So, um, Oklahoma State's leading running back, 466 yards, 4.1 average. As a team, they're running 3.6 yards per average, per play. And they state championship caliber teams have five or even six yards. So, I took... Penn State, a complete run-of-the-mill Big Ten team that we've been ragging on their offense of line all year. Their leading rusher, 6.1 average as a team, 4.1. That's, I mean, a half a yard extra for a 7-4 and four Penn State team. That kind of puts it in perspective just how they can't have any dependence on that running game. Yeah, you know, the only guy who, they, who's had, who they've been able to depend on um, this year is J.W. Walsh when they put him in at quarterback. And this game, he had five carries for nine yards. You know, they, they, they completely shot him down. So, um, yeah, you're, you're completely right, Josh. They're, the lack of running games uh, for Oklahoma State has really killed them. But I want to go back and uh, jump to the other half of Bedlam um, and talk about the Oklahoma TCU game. Because we expected Oklahoma to kind of roll TCU, especially without um, uh, Trevon Boykin for TCU. But this was, this turned out to be a much, much tougher game than we expected, didn't we, Coach? It did. I mean, you know, I think TCU really rose to the occasion as far as filling in for Trevon Boykin. Um, and then also, of course, wide receiver Josh Doxson. Um, you know, I just think they had a good game plan of, of just kind of disrupting everything Oklahoma wanted to do. Um, you know, this was in that um, flurry of night games where I was flipping back and forth. So, again, I didn't get the chance to, you know, for me, my, my ADD doesn't allow me to sit and watch an entire game. I kind of have to flip around and just check on everybody a little bit of the way. But, um, you know, I just think that this is the kind of uh, grit that this Horn Frog team has had all year long. And, and you know, they had a couple of, of bad luck injuries and, and – uh, Samaj P. Ryan still ran for 188 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Baker Mayfield, I think they did a good job of disrupting him, 9 of 20 for 127, two touchdowns. Um, but also, they did more than just disrupt him. They, uh, they, they knocked him out of the game. So, he, you know, you, you lose a guy that's been not only your statistical leader, your, your, your kind of guy that's been getting it done on the field, he's been your emotional leader as well. He's just kind of been the glue that's kind of held this team together. And, and then he goes out, all of a sudden they're thinking, oh, crap, what are we going to do now? You know, who, who's going to lead us? And it just almost seemed like that the, the captain of the ship was, was tossed overboard and everybody was just kind of running frantically on how to steer the ship and how to not get it to hit an iceberg and, uh, Samaj P. Ryan finally, at the last possible second, grabs control of that wheel, avoids that iceberg, and 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 they they keep rolling on. If you like my Titanic reference there, <laughs> um, but uh, you know, it just goes to show you what what kind of team that they had TCU, um, and what kind what kind of lift that Boykin and Doxson uh, provided. But freshman Sawyer, uh, freshman Foster Sawyer, a little bit of alliteration there. Uh, he started. In place of Boykin, first career, uh, yeah, first career start. I thought he did a, you know, he completed seven of his first eight. Uh, looks like he really got himself into a groove. I thought he did a, you know, I thought he did a fine job coming in and and filling in. Um, obviously, you know, wasn't, you know, wasn't what you would have what you would imagine. Uh, Bar, I'm gonna try to say this name here, Bram 
Colehausen came yeah, in also. Colehausen. Five of 11, 122 yards, two touchdowns as well, came in relief. Um, yeah, Sawyer, Sawyer, after that after that start, he really tried to fall apart throwing three picks. And But, yeah, you know, you're, you're, as a freshman, your first collegiate start in Norman, that's a, that's a pretty tall test. Yeah, I mean, it, it's it's a tough ask to, for, for a freshman to come in and do that. And I thought, you know, he got off to a good start. He just couldn't sustain it, you know, like a freshman. Couldn't sustain it through through three interceptions. Kind of kind of really struggled, lost confidence. So they went in with uh, Kohlhausen. So, uh, you know, Aaron Green stepped up, 23 carries, 126 and a touchdown, uh, kind of trying to uh, supplement the, uh, the lack of passing attack. And, uh, you know, Colby – Listenby had four catches for 98 yards. This is like the all-name team for TCU. Kibate Turpin, I mean, like, yeah. they're, they're, they're Trey Boris Johnson, backup running back. I mean, they're yeah, yeah they're uh, they're everywhere on this TCU team. But uh, well, Turpin made his one catch. Turpin made his one catch count, one catch for 86 yards and a touchdown. Yep. So he count. He was well, on my, uh, he was on my uh, freshman All-American list. There you go. Well, I mean – we're giving a lot of praise to TCU's players, as we should. And we all love Gary Patterson, but he had the boneheaded, boneheaded thing that you never do. And he had the fatal mistake of chasing points with a two-point conversion in the third quarter. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yeah. That last yeah. touchdown he did. drive, that last touchdown drive would have been a – Point after to win. Now I yep. don't. I don't mind the second two point conversion. You're banged up. You feel like you can't beat this team in overtime. I'm fine with that. But it's coaching 101. You don't chase points. You're down ten. The two point conversion makes it an eight point game. But it's the early third quarter. You know Oklahoma is going to probably score again. It, it makes no sense. Yeah, I mean you never ever ever chase points outside the fourth quarter. Never. You just take the points, take what you get, chip away at it. If you're very, if you're confident, that just shows to me, that just shows he didn't have confidence that his guys could, could score late. I mean, if he felt like he had to chase points that soon, that quickly, uh, it just shows a lack of confidence in the team. You know, as a player, I'm like, really, we're, you know, you don't think we can, Holt, weather the storm and do this. I mean, we've done this before. We were ranked, you know, fourth in the country at one point. Yeah, I don't think I we can do this. All right, coach. I mean, come on now. You know, yeah, I mean, you don't chase points in the third quarter. It's, it, that's just – that's it, in baseball, you don't make the last out at, at home. Mm-hmm. In football, you don't chase points. You don't go for two in the third quarter. You just don't do it unless, you're, unless your kicker somehow snaps his ankle – at yeah. some point, and you do not have anybody that can come in and kick a legitimate extra point, then you go for two. Or if that's, just, or if that's just your style. If, if, yeah. if for some reason it works for you and you just go for two every single time, that's fine. If you have a kicker that snaps his leg and, you're, and your punter just, for some reason, all he can do is punt and he can't kick off the tee or the ground or whatever the case may be, he ends up you know, he kicks the holder in the in the crotch every time. <laughs> I don't know. Yeah, I mean, maybe maybe Florida should be going for two all the time, but man, thirteen minutes to go in the third. No. 
brutal. Yeah, that's tough. And and you know, I, I I hate to I hate to hammer coaches like that and but that's just it, that's especially tough. one with Patterson's resume. I mean yeah. holy it's smokes one of the game's best. Yeah, you can't let that go. Yeah, definitely not. Well, let's uh, we gotta continue on. We're, uh, we're we're rolling up to the hour mark here, so we got we got two games left to get to. So let's get to them quick. Uh, Frank Bieber unfortunately loses his last uh, home game in uh, in in Blacksburg, in a, a real heartbreaker too um, to uh, the Tar Heels, who you know Josh mentioned earlier. Um, so uh, you know the Tar Heels go on to win this game uh, with a final score of. Uh, of, uh, what was it, thirty to twenty-seven um, in overtime? So this was a uh, th- this is a real heartbreaker for Coach Beamer, wasn't it, Josh? I mean, I don't think it was that much of a heartbreaker. I think they knew they were facing long odds, and to even get it into overtime shows how crafty he can be. And uh, to me, I mean, I think Virginia is going to beat or Virginia Tech is going to beat a really bad four and seven Virginia team to make a bowl game. Uh, to me, this shows that North Carolina, as good as they are, and they've won 10 straight, uh, there's still some fedora issues. I mean, nine penalties, three turnovers. Um, it was an exciting run for them to win 10 straight, and they'll probably win their finale. But um, I, I just i am not sure that they have what it takes to knock off Clemson. And uh, it's good for them to get ranked as high as they are right now, but there's still some fundamental issues with this Carolina team that have yet to get sorted out. Yeah, I mean, you just kind of see them. Uh, and I don't know if it was just Virginia Tech had a good game plan against them, but it just seems like that they kind of slowed them down a little bit. Um, I know they couldn't hold on to it. Uh, they, you know, look, they, they blew a 14-point lead in the last three minutes of regulation. Um and then they ended up falling in, in overtime. But uh, it just, I don't know, just something about North Carolina just just tells me that, yeah, they're a good team. They've come a long way. They're just not there yet. They just don't seem like they're just quite there yet. They're undefeated in the conference, 10-1 and overall, tremendous record. Hasn't played, a, hasn't played a tremendously strong schedule. That South Carolina win is looking less and less relevant by the minute, um, especially <laughs> – Especially, they hated to see that happen well, with, the, with them losing to the Citadel. But well, no, it's looking more and more relevant because they actually dropped the South Carolina game after one loss. Oh yeah, that's right. It's, it's looking uglier and uglier. You know, yeah. I, I did a little research, guys. Um, Citadel beat South Carolina, but Charleston Southern beat Citadel. So Charleston Southern and Charleston Southern and Clemson actually need to meet for the championship of South Carolina. That's a yeah. deep, deep route. That's like out of the stadium route. Listen, you know that, yeah. that's what we bring you here on the Illegal Motion Podcast, man. We're not, we're not just catch for eighty-six five weeks. We're going, we're, we're going real deep into the into the FCS. That that's like a one catch for ninety-nine yards and a touchdown right there. Hey, man, just call me Cavante Turpin. There you go. So, there you go. Come on. Any other any, any other things you want to talk about here here with this game? I mean, North Carolina sitting pretty in the ACC. Um, you know, yeah, they got a tough test. You know, no, they got a tough test coming up. Uh, NC State's not an easy opponent. Um, they play NC State, right? That's yeah. correct. Yeah, that's what I thought. For some reason, I said that. I was like, wait, do they play Wake Forest? Okay, no, NC State. They're tough. That's, I mean, that's a tough test for them. You know, it's an in-state rivalry. That's not a pushover game by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, Clemson's going to be 
a very tall order for them in the, in the ACC championship, but it should be an entertaining game. Uh, they got some things to figure out. They got some holes to fill. They got some mistakes to clean up, you know, in the next couple of weeks. And uh, as they tune up for the ACC championship, as they gear up and try to get themselves at least a shot at maybe some consideration for the playoff. I don't know if they got enough juice to get into the playoff, but, um, you know, at least to give themselves a chance in the conversation if they beat Clemson. But, uh, you know, they got some things to clean up if they want to do that and, you know. They'll they'll go and watch some film and try to clean it up, but you know you just got to wonder: Are they talented enough? Can they hold on enough? You know, for four quarters against against the Clemson to uh, you know to to hold out on the on the beating they're going to take early because Clemson's going to come out firing, and and we'll go through that preview later. But you know, just some of their depth concerns uh, are, are kind of worrisome. Definitely, definitely. Well, let's hop to our let's hop to our last game. Um, sticking somewhat in the ACC uh, with BC, but Notre Dame wins one ugly game in Fenway Park over the Eagles of Boston College. And while I was hoping for for uh, mutually assured destruction, that did not happen. Alas. Um, so, Josh, I mean, Notre Dame had what five turnovers in this game? Yep, five turnovers. Kaveri uh, Russell. Got hurt, starting cornerbacks. DJ Procise, high ankle sprain, doubtful against Stanford. Um, you know, I've, I've been jokingly call, calling them the zombie Irish, and they've had a, a fun season so far. But uh, I made I made the firm statement that Ole Miss was going to beat LSU. I made the firm statement Baylor was going to beat Oklahoma State. I'm giving you a preview for our Thursday preview show. Firm statement, Stanford's blowing out this Irish team on the farm. Ooh. The injuries are the, the injuries are going to catch up to them, and next week is the week that the uh, the which rings the bell. What's that dumb cliche about the uh, something? Well, either way, it's going to be ugly for the Irish. <laughs> What's that dumb? Oh yeah, that for one. Whom the bell tolls. Is that what we're talking about? Yeah, something like that. I don't know. For whom the bell tolls uh, until it sleeps, the master of it's, puppets. It's the bewitching hour. I think that is that what it is. The witching hour. The witching hour. Yeah. The bewitching hour. No, it's the bewitching hour. It's the Notre Dame going down at Stanford hour. Okay, yeah, no. that's, what, that, that's what we'll call. Yeah, this Irish team is just, they are hanging on by, you know, the thread of their ace bandages. Uh, yeah, they the thread are. of those ugly-ass uniforms. Um, the game was about as ugly as the uniforms were. I'm, I'm looking at pictures <laughs> of it. I didn't see an ounce of the game. I, I, I really just didn't watch any of it. Um, kind of forgot. <laughs> it all, I, you know, I appreciate your honesty, Coach. Um, I didn't watch any of it. Uh, didn't the only way I the only way I would have the only way I would have watched any of it is if while the game was going on, Big Poppy was doing batting practice. Yeah. Hey, do you, was, yeah. Do those you those three uniforms are are beyond hideous. Are beyond hideous. Do you think Under Armour was cringing when they turned on this game, going, "Wow, these are these are two of our our teams right here." They designed a man. You know, it's. Oof. That was that was some ugly stuff. You can't you can't sit there and go, Johnson. That's a good job on those Notre Dame uniforms. <laughs> that's just terrible. Can BC play Maryland at some point? That'll be fun. Ooh. Oh, speaking of embarrassing, Maryland's home attendance at their senior day. I saw a picture of that, and it was it looked like a it looked like a light crowd for a Dematha High School game. Were there about you know, I'd rather go watch the math of high school at this point in Maryland. Oh, now. Yeah. 
And there would probably be more attendance at the DeMatha game than there was at Maryland Senior Day yesterday against Rutgers. <laughs> well, well, Big Ten, Big Ten football at its finest. Good Lord. Well, you know what? Let's wrap that up. Um, we, don't, we don't need to talk anymore about um, these two programs. Hopefully, ever. Um, five turnovers. Ouch. So uh, we're going to go to our uh, we're going to go to our weekly roundtable to talk top ten after the weekend. So, um, Josh, I want you to run through your ten to one. Then we'll do coaches. Then we'll wrap up with a mod and have a little discussion. Well, I can do you one better. So. Uh, I did not read the email last week, and I kind of got caught off guard and had to do it on the fly, and then it didn't match what I did on the blog. So I, I was smart this week. I got my top 25 100% ready, so I'll fly through it real quick. I like this Western Kentucky team at 25. A&M with the head-to-head win over Mississippi State, I actually have them in at 24th. Pittsburgh 23, Temple 22. And then uh, good old Ole Miss, Oregon, Northwestern, Toledo, I like. Washington State, I like. North Carolina, still a little iffy on at 16. Navy, 15. Houston, 14. TCU, 13. Ohio State, 12. 11, Oklahoma State. And now, finally, my real top 10, Baylor, Michigan State, Stanford. I've watched every second of them. So, Iowa, I still have some qualms with. But if they win out, they're fine. Don't worry. It'll take care of itself. Oklahoma, six. The Gators I still have as five. I remember a few years ago they had a really close game. They seemed disinterested in it. Everyone was questioning them, and then they upset Florida State. So the Gators, I'm kind of taking a little bit of a wait-and-see approach. Notre Dame, fourth. That reflects their record now. But like I said, they're the zombie Irish. They're about to falter. Uh, Believe it or not, I got Michigan three, the way my rankings work. It's kind of goofy, but um, they have such good deep threats with Butt and Darbo, they're like they're kind of like Iowa, but like a little bit better version in terms of their receiving core. Um, three losses. I know it's I, my rankings are weird. I'll admit. Okay. Uh, Alabama, Alabama two, Clemson one. All right, Co- Coach, what you got? Well, I'll go from ten to one. Um, I've got Florida at ten, Oklahoma State nine, Ohio State eight. Baylor 7, Oklahoma 6, Notre Dame 5 by a thread, Michigan State at 4, Iowa at 3, Bama at 2, Clemson at 1. Um, the reason I have Ohio State below Oklahoma and Baylor is because I think if they both lined – I think if they lined up with both of those teams, they would lose. Um, simple as that. Oklahoma State, I think, is in Florida are kind of right there at they're, – they're good, but they're just kind of on the fringe of that top 10. I'm still not sold on the Gators. Um, I think they have – I think they're really weak offensively um, right now. I think it's just kind of like duct tape and bubble gum holding that thing together. Um, I don't think they've really truly found an identity yet. They've played well at times, but not consistently. Uh, Notre Dame, the zombie Irish, are hanging on by a thread. Five turnovers. Maybe that's an anomaly. I don't know. We'll see against Stanford um, what the true Irish are going to look like here. Uh, Michigan State at number four. Um, love this team. Love what they do defensively. Uh, coaching has got them up into that point. Mark D'Antonio has done a tremendous job at game planning and, and playing to his strengths. And, and there's there's a lot to be said to that. Um, Iowa, they're undefeated. What can I say? They're undefeated in, in, a, in a good conference. Um, they're number three. Um, the only reason they're not number one right now is because Clemson is still undefeated. Um, and they still just keep going. Uh, Bama, I think Bama could line up and beat 
anybody up underneath them. The only reason Bama's not sitting at number one right now is because they're not undefeated, and there's enough, there's two undefeated teams that would go to that number one spot before Bama. And so that's my top ten. Uh, All it's right. Up for debate. And uh, Matt, I'm looking forward to hearing yours. All right. Well, I got to tie. I just have well, I just have a quick question about Clemson and Iowa, just because they're the last two undefeated teams, and just to compare the conferences, I I'm curious if you flipped them, what their records would be like. I'm I'm very curious because ACC kind of is considered pretty low, but. I still think they would both be undefeated. If Clemson was playing in the Big Ten West and Iowa was playing in the ACC uh, what, Coastal? It's the ACC something and the ACC can't remember. Those are their two division names. Okay, well, if they were playing the ACC something and uh, <laughs> Clemson was playing in the Big Ten West, I think both these teams are undefeated. Yeah. Okay, I was just curious because – I. I'm a little higher, I feel like, on the ACC than some people because I think that Pittsburgh team is still pretty good. NC State's improved. North Carolina's improved. I'm not sure they're as bad as some people make it out to be. No, I'm not saying the ACC is bad. I'm saying Iowa – I I mean, Iowa, I think, is built – I think they they match up. They give – or they're a poor matchup for a lot of teams in that conference. I think what they do um, makes them, I guess, a bad matchup for – Four other teams. I'm saying that they would, you know, that they would cause matchup problems. I think Clemson is built to to succeed in a lot of different conferences. I think they could, I think they could do well in the Big Twelve. I think they could do well. I think they could, they could definitely be leading the East right now in the SEC. Um, I think they would kill Florida. To be honest with you, um, I think Iowa would put a pretty pretty good whooping on Florida too. Um, I'm just not sold on the Gators um, defensively. I think. Uh, Clemson is – they're fast and they're physical. I mean, they, they remind me a lot of uh, defensively. I, I don't think they're quite as strong defensively as Michigan State is, but they remind me a lot of Michigan State with the style that they play. Britt Venables is going to be a head coach really soon, if not this offseason, next. Um, and I think he's one of the greatest DCs in the country right now. Uh, came from Oklahoma. When Oklahoma had all those superstar defenses, he was leading the way. Yep. Um, he's now Clemson. He did a, a great job developing defensive backs too. Um, yes, I, I think Clemson's secondary is you know, and part of that Michigan State style defense is he puts his defensive backs on an island. He trusts them at completely. And I mean, yeah. obviously, when you got when you got a talent like Mackenzie Alexander, you can do that. But well, I'll tell you who stepped up for them is is Cordero Tankersley. Oh my he god, absolutely. I mean, he's he's a turnover machine, mm-hmm. and they pick on him a lot because obviously they don't want to go after Mackenzie Alexander, but they pick on Tankersley a lot, and Tankersley holds his own out there. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, my top ten, um, I have a tie at tenth uh, with North Carolina and Florida. Um, if Flor- if Will Gear still playing for Florida, they might be in my top four, but without him, you know, they got they got they got no offense. So uh, I got Stanford at nine. Ohio State at eight, Baylor at seven, uh, Zombie Irish at six, um, uh, Boomer Sooner at five, Sparty at four, Hawkeyes three, Bama two, and Clemson number one. Um, I, you know, I was I, I was very very tempted to put Stanford over Ohio State, but I don't want to drop Ohio State too too much and overreact to that loss. Um, I, I think Notre Dame is the team that's poised to fall the fastest out of anyone on here, but, um, you know, we'll, we'll see. 
Um, we'll see. You know, North Carolina, you know, they have what, – what, what have they won now, 10 in a row? I mean, they yeah. are – they are, as, like I said last week, they are as hot as anyone else in the country. So um, it's going to be interesting to see, um, you know, if, if going into um, the championship game week, if Iowa is still undefeated and we assume Michigan beats Penn State next week, that's going to be one heck of a game, I think. Um, and I think Iowa Iowa fans have got to be elated because I think they, they stand a much better chance against Michigan State than they would have against Ohio State. Oh, yeah, and not for nothing, um, just – Strange coaching matchup. Kirk Ferentz is four and three versus D'Antonio, and one of the weirder ones was uh, Michigan State came into Kinnick as fifth in the country in double-digit favors, and whatever game plan Kirk cooked up, they won the game like thirty-seven to thirteen. So for some reason, Iowa just stacks up well against Michigan State. Um, has to give Iowa fans a little bit of optimism. Uh, they'll still probably be underdogs in that game but um hey as an iowa fan i'd much rather see uh sparty or the wolverines than ohio state because ohio state talent to talent is better than iowa yeah they are they are well um that's gonna be it for this week uh any, any parting shots from you guys yeah i have a super quick one i picked indiana to win by three touchdowns and when it was 21 to 3, I was a little nervous. And then Indiana, I remember they were playing Maryland and won the rest of the game uh, 44 to 7. <laughs> so they, they won 47 28. And one of the weirder things was the, the game was scoreless in the fourth quarter. So the, all those points in three quarters, Indiana gets their fifth win. Great chance against a really, really bad Purdue team next week. Uh, hats off to Nate Sudfeld, 23-35, That's an 11-per-pop average, four touchdowns, zero interceptions, one hell of a day for the lovable Hoosiers. Go Crimson. Absolutely. Yeah, uh, just to give the big ten real quick, uh, Wisconsin got absolutely jobbed, two touchdowns by the refs. So um, I'm still a little bitter on Sunday. Um, yeah, it, it was really nice. It was really nice. There was a referee exchange program, and um, Madison hosted some ACC refs. Was it the guys who did the um, uh, who, who who did the Duke Miami game? Yeah, they were they were giving back to the private academic institution. Good no. lord! All hey, right, uh, one last parting shot for me: the t- 2015 FCS brackets were released today. Jacksonville State, the number one seed, the defending champs, the North Dakota State Bison are at the three seed at nine and two. Um, so all this stuff will kick off this weekend um, with the FCS playoffs. How many teams are in that tournament, Coach? 16. Yeah, can you email that to ESPN and the CFP people? Thanks. Yeah, I will. <laughs> uh, hopefully, they'll, hopefully they'll listen to this podcast to see how we can, we can do an FCS bracket version um, and just, see how, just tell everyone how awesome the FCS playoffs are. Yeah, and if, if you're going to watch FCS, especially if you're going to watch North Dakota State, keep an eye out for their quarterback, Carson Wentz. He is, uh, uh, you know, he is moving up draft boards fast. Big kid, about 6'5", 230, can really sling it around, uh, sling it around the yard. He's going to be a guy to, to, keep an eye to, to keep an eye out on. So um, my quick parting shot is a uh, shout-out to my Aunt Sal. I'm sorry. I know you had uh, Oklahoma State in, in, your, in your office pool this year. So uh, I guess that's the one just not going to turn out for you. And sh- shout-out to Ashley Croft, sorry your your Memphis Tigers lost. 
but we still love you. Three times in a row. I know. We, we, we still love you, Ashley. So, all right. Well, on behalf of our coach, Corey Burton, and on behalf of the blogger, Josh Cook, I'm the professor, Matt Perkins, saying so long and see you next time on the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. Oh, yeah. Thanks for listening to the Illegal Motion College Football Podcast. To get in touch with the show, email us at illegalmotionpodcast at gmail.com or follow us on Twitter at illegal underscore motion. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.